So what we did is we built a platform for both our customer and our internal customer, which is our team, um, to be able to do their work quickly. So on the external platform, if you're a customer, in the palm of your hand, you have your tax return, your monthly financials, balance sheet, profit or loss. You have a lifeline to your accountant and to a CPA. With eight businesses to her credit and a master of sales, where today's guest, Lo Roberts, goes, momentum follows. Her remarkable experience leads into our discussion about Zendu, a bookkeeping and accounting service designed to give businesses of all sizes complete transparency with their financials, leading to actionable strategies throughout the entire year and not just tax season. If you're looking for a service that draws from hard-won experience and data, this is the episode to check out. Lo Roberts, it is... Good to have you here on Ecomonics. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? I am doing awesome. Thank you, Joseph. Ple- pleasure to be here with you. It's a it's a pleasure to have you. And you inspired me to do one of my more sing-songy intros. Usually it's like, I, I have to struggle to get out of my monotone. Yeah, it's good to have you here. How are you doing? How are you feeling today? So it means a lot to have you on. Brief confession before we we, we dig into these things. So uh, I I hadn't checked my uh, my podcast uh, email in uh, in a couple of weeks. Not good. Should have done it. Um, and there was a couple of people that were reaching out saying, "Hey, you know, we want to we want to come on. We want to do the show." I'm like, "Oh, for shots on! I forgot the people like what I do." So um, it, I know that like you know uh, everyone's reaching out. We want to do this show. We want to have you on this show. It's all about the cross pollination. Um, but nonetheless, it still means a lot to me to have people reaching out and say that they they want to do the show. And uh, and so yeah, I'm I'm really happy to have you here. Thank you. It's an honor to be here with you, and I, I love your style. You know, you're just casual, carefree, and fun. And that's the like way externally internally. Internally, uh, it's like a NASA when they're during a rocket launch. Everybody get to your stations. This is not a drill. It takes practice. It takes practice. Opening question for you. Tell us, Lil, uh, what do you do? What are you up to these days? I have a fintech business that helps hundreds and hundreds of e-com customers, as well as all small businesses across the United States and in 12 other countries. And we do the unsexy work of online bookkeeping and accounting, but we make it fun. Well, that's that's something that I had seen um, from from the website. My, my producer Micah, shout out to my producer. She does the um, the, the legwork of uh, going on to LinkedIn, partially because you know we have different uh, time budgets, but also partially because I'm paranoid and going on to LinkedIn, people see who visited what, and I'm like, I just uh, I can't I can't quite quite I can't quite get over that, um, that limitation. Um, but it is remarkable to see that there are people who really truly enjoy uh, what, what it is that they do. And I'm just happy to see that people found their way into these positions. So, you know, I on an episode to episode basis, uh, I do weigh whether or not I feel a backstory is great to bring up right away, or if I want to save it. I think in this case, I really like to hear your story and you know what uh, what brought you to to this point. So I'm a serial entrepreneur. I have uh, built eight. This is the eighth business. And so I started out, my background was I started out in engineering and I installed ATM machines at NCR. And then I did sales and I sold commission only copiers of fax machines. And then I combined the two. My first business was a systems integration business. And from there, I did product businesses and into manufacturing. So you're saying, so how do you have a fintech business doing online accounting and bookkeeping? Uh, So it means that you're not a CPA, right? And that's exactly right. I'm not a CPA. I'm not an accountant. I have an incredible team. That are. So, Joseph, for me, when I exited my last business, I did a scorecard because, as entrepreneurs, and I'm sure you hear this over and over, and same for you, we end up happenstance what business we're in. We see a problem, we want to solve the problem, we're passionate about it, 
And then all of a sudden we're in that business. And so I wanted to do my next business was in 2016. I wanted to make sure it was intentional. So, you know, it's kind of like the saying that everybody looks good at the bar at 3 a.m. So, you know, for entrepreneurs, everybody, every business looks good, right? And so I said, you know, I want to really solve a big problem. I want to work with people that I love to work with and I'm passionate about, and that's small business owners. And I wanted to reshape an industry and I wanted to scale it to 100 million in ARR, which is annual recurring revenue. Um, and I want to help a lot of people have financial visibility. So that was the impetus of Zendu. And uh, because I felt the pain firsthand that I couldn't understand, and I'm sure you must feel this as well, why you can't get your numbers from the accounting industry in a timely manner, right? The world moves digitally. Why has that industry not making the transition? And so at Zendu, that's what we do. We deliver people their books. 65% of them get them by the fifth business day. And one of the things that I think, uh, you know, every business, especially ones that work so um, prominently in the e-commerce space is have to be ready to adapt on the fly. And, and I think one of the issues that stems from not receiving the, that, that those vital, that vital information as, in, in a timely manner is because the system itself is, even if it's like a 2015 or 2014 system, by this point, it's archaic. So that to me seems like something that has been worked and integrated well into your software and into your, uh, we, we say, so FinTech, uh, this is actually the first time that I've heard it. Luckily, I figured out what it was pretty, pretty quickly. Tell us about the adaptability side of it and you know what kind of changes that you've found even in the span of the last five years that you've had to reconcile with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's an archaic industry because uh, there weren't many players in the digital side of it, especially for bookkeeping and accounting. And so what we did is we built a platform for both our customer and our internal customer, which is our team, um, to be able to do their work quickly. So on the external platform, if you're a customer, in the palm of your hand, you have your tax return, your monthly financials, balance sheet, profit or loss. You have a lifeline to your accountant and to a CPA. And that's like unheard of for small business owners, right? So that's software that we wrote to be able to have that access just using today's current day rails. And then on the internal customer side, um, which is our, our team, we built out a platform that they feel like they're running downhill instead of climbing uphill every day. And so that's all through digital. And then the other side of it for econ customers is that what we hear over and over, Joseph, is that they, they say that they came from an accountant that doesn't understand their business, that mm-hmm. doesn't understand how you connect, interface with Shopify or interface with PayPal. And, you know, it's dangerous because if the integrations aren't set up right, you can overstate your income and have yourself a problem. You can overpay taxes. That, that makes you just want to ask about really like some of the the, the mines that people have stepped on over the years, like in, in cases where somebody has overpaid, the taxes underpaid, um, weren't aware that taxes are even a thing. Um, just off the top of your head, what are some of the, uh, the minefields that people have stepped on? Over the years? Yeah, absolutely. You know, they, well, a couple of the major minefields are that, People don't realize the benefit of doing monthly financials. So it is, you're flying your business blind if what you do is you get up in the morning and you look at your bank account and say, oh, I have money and I can live another day. Mm-hmm. And then you only look at the revenue coming in through your mobile app, you know, for Amazon or Shopify or any of the others. You have to look at the whole picture holistically. You have to understand your expenses. And where the minefield is, is that they don't do, don't do any tax planning. And so the end of the year happens and you're into March of the next year. And that's when you decide to do your taxes and you've missed all the money that you could have kept in your pocket 
or you could have used instead of paying the government, you could have used to invest in your business. So biggest minefield, not knowing your numbers and not maximizing the tax savings. So that's number one. Then second biggest would be that so many people, you know, they live chat or, or, or they uh, they call or email and they say, hey, you know, I'm behind. I can't buy a house or I can't get a loan because I haven't done my books in two, three years. Can you help me out? And of course, we can help them out and we help them out really quickly. But, you know, it, it's just it's a hard way to live. Right. Like, why do that to yourself? Right. So when we were looking at the the services, um, there is what I would uh, imagine is, you know, the mainline service. And then there's a specific one, which is the getting caught up. It's a, it's a catch up um, service that you're offering that we're talking about here. So this is one thing that I've wanted to, to understand, because when I hear something like, oh, their, their books aren't updated in, in two or three years. And, you know, being the, 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 the paranoid guy that I am, I think, man, the Fed must be knocking on their door any second now. So somebody reaches out to you that says they need to get it caught up. Um, what does that entail? And then what are the patterns and what are the reasons why you're finding people end up being behind on this? Yeah, totally. So let's start with the reason why they're behind. Um, small business owners are, you know, juggling a million things. So working 12 to 14 hour days. And the last thing that they want to do is sit down and do their books, right? And so they don't do it. And, and then they feel like, Hey, you know, where do I find somebody that I can trust? Or more importantly, in the e-com space, where do I find somebody that understands my business? Because the e-com business is so unique, right? Um, and we can talk about other industries. They all have their own anomalies. So, so the main reason is they get behind because they think they're going to get around to it. They don't get around to it. Life happens. And small business owners, for the most part, feel like they're just on that treadmill of life, just constantly working, trying to balance family, trying to find a little sliver for themselves. So that's the main reason why it happens. And then the other pieces of it is that then they reach a point where like they're a year behind, year and a half, and they just say, so what? I'm, I'm behind. You know, what am I going to do? They don't know where to begin to dig out. And uh, you know, it's not just a, you know, any individual entrepreneur who's uh, guilty of kicking the can down the road. You can go to any institution or you know, a large companies and each and each one of these are all facing different issues. But what I think is especially problematic for you know the individual entrepreneur is that whatever you scale, it, well, let's say whatever your your current your patterns are, whatever it is you're doing, that's all going to scale with you. So yeah, your your profitability might scale with you, but your yeah. issues are going to scale as well. And it goes from being a numerical problem to um, a, a multiplication problem, where now these problems have actually like ballooned out of control. Hundred percent, great, great analogy. You're right; it becomes an exponential problem. And um, look, small business owners and entrepreneurs—they they do what they do. I mean, we all do what we do because we're passionate about it. So, accounting may not be your expertise. It's not mine. I'm not an accountant. You know, my team tells me that I'm an honorary CPA because I know a lot about tax. But I know that through all my years of owning businesses and educating myself about it, um, it's it's about, you know, somebody, a mentor of mine said to me one time, pay for the very best for the areas that are not your skill set. And if you do that, you're going to make life a lot easier for yourself. And I think there's not enough people that do that. Well, I think that there's also a um, a degree of skepticism where somebody wants to pay good money to receive a good service, but their own lack of knowledge means they don't have a clear frame of reference for you know what is the difference between paying good money for a good quality service versus paying good money and not getting good quality service. So uh, what I like to hear is maybe some of the skepticisms or some of the ob objections people have had and you know, what it is they saw uh, on behalf of, of Zendu that helped, you know, convince them that this is okay. You know, this is the, this is the right path forward. So I can, we have a customer 
We have many customers in Hawaii. Our customers are in 46 states. Um, and so one particular customer is a bakery and they're a review on our site and they wrote and they said, I feel found. And so I think one of the common things that happens in the accounting industry is that typically, and I'm, I'm not going to say all people because there's some amazing CPAs and accountants out there, but typically that industry, they may not be people people, right? And because they're math, they're math people, right? So sometimes when you're a math person, you're not a people person. Um, and so they may not get back to people in a timely manner. They may not have that customer service front end, right? Um, and so like a small business owner, they get an IRS notice because you get an IRS notice for any reason. They get an IRS notice in the mail. And the first thing that happens to you is you get a shutter up your spine, right? You're like, oh my mm-hmm. God, this is going to be terrible. I don't even want to open it. I'm in the, in the business. And if I get one, I leave it on, on the counter for a week. I'm like, I don't even want to know what it is. And so, and then when they open it, and then they call their CPA, they don't get a, a, a call back. And a week goes by, two weeks go by. All of that is stress for a small business owner. And so we don't, we don't do that. We answer those notices in 48 hours. You know, and typically when you do get your CPA, they go, ah, Joseph, that's nothing. What are you worried about? You know, meanwhile, you've been stressing for two weeks, not sleeping. So a lot of what we hear from our customers is just that we're very different than the traditional industry. Um, our, you know, we're very uh, tech savvy because we are a technology company that happens to be in the accounting space. And, and I think that uh, Patty from Patty Cakes Bakery said it. She feels found. Our customers feel found. They know that, that we're going to talk to them. We're going to help them in every way that we can. And it's important too to, you know, meet passion with passion. Right. If, if you're uh, describing a, a bakery, you know, I think they get into you know, the bakery not because of it's a lucrative opportunity, but because they're passionate about making food and, and feeding others. And so t- I, I there's there's and, you know, there's we can we can spend you know all the next year coming up with limiting factors. But I think the limiting factor that's really the most relevant um, and pertinent to this discussion is the reluctance to even get into business in the first place, because there are so many things that would take away from what a person wants to focus on, which is creating their product and marketing their product. Yeah, totally. You know, it's interesting because the e-com business is really the business of, of today. If you think about it, right. Mm -hmm. Um, We see businesses that will be 5 million in size and, and traditionally a $5 million business would have, you know, 80 to hundred team members. Right. And an e-com business can be five, five million in size, and it can be five people, and then they outsource the rest. It's like incredible. So they're leveraging technology to scale their business. And I think that that is how all business owners should be thinking in today's world, especially, you know, if anything we learned from, from the pandemic is that the digital world accelerated. Those in the digital world did well during, during COVID and are doing well. And that those that didn't adapt their business models and adopt technology, they're not doing as well. There's stories of that um, happening uh, prior to. And I think what we what we encounter here is like 10 years worth of um, yeah. this. Ever since I learned about what inflation really is in like the last two years, I've tried to apply it to all things. You know, and so in this case, it's a it's a matter of uh, of business inflation where if your if your structure doesn't hold up, if you're not if you're not adapting, then you're going to go the way of Blockbuster. And Blockbuster was the one that I wanted to bring up. You know, there's an example of a business that wasn't adjusting properly to the emerging digital space. And there's one, and it's got a Twitter account, and that's all that they have to show for it after all that after all that time. And think about it, you know, I, I love that you bring up Blockbuster because 
Netflix, Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix. Did you know that? I would love to say yes, but I just had no idea. So Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix and they didn't. And really, when you think about it, how many how many businesses do we see over and over that were in the industry first and they didn't adopt and adapt and they become so big? It's like a big ship in the ocean. It's so hard to turn. And so that's the analogy I use for what we did. I purposely left the shoreline knowing that we were going to go technology first to an industry that was analog. So I specifically went looking for analog industries that were pain Mm -hmm. points for small business owners. And that's how I arrived at what I was going to do with this business. I want to veer off here for a second too, because I, uh, I want to get your, you know, your, your opinion on the uh, early adoption, because what I think from a consumer point of view, early adoption usually is bad news. You know, the first people to line up for the first wave of iPhones are also the people to get like the worst iPhones possible. You know, you wait a few generations and the better ones come out. And, and, and I do think that a lot of uh, businesses, they almost like they, they build up this reluctance to continue to adapt because they put so much time into creating and, and forging a path forward. Like for instance, I, I'm talking about Netflix. So one thing that I remember distinctly is that, you know, Netflix had uh, Marvel content on there. They, they, they had Star Trek, they had a lot of far reaching content and they couldn't work out agreements with all of these other um, publishers. And so they all branched off and they all formed their own uh, streaming services now. And now we're almost come full circle where somebody can sign up for a package and get like 12 different streaming services, which is basically just satellite uh, in, in the end of the day. So I think there's a lot of uh, str- struggle here and just like knowing whether or not you're taking the right risk, you know, if it's a calculated risk, if you, or if you know that, you know, you're not taking a risk and this is a surefire path. So can you take us to, you know, you, you, you stepped onto the shores of analog and you knew it was a pain point. And where did this certainty, where did this confidence come from? If I'm assuming that the confidence is there, maybe it's not, but you know, you can, you can tell the story one way or another. Uh, totally. So, well, first off, I'm a ledge walk. So I'm ready to jump off the side of the building and I'm going to figure out how to fly on the way down. And I think that that's probably the common thread amongst all entrepreneurs, right? Is that, hey, we're going to jump and then we'll figure it out. Um, But we take calculated risks. And so what I did, the way that I approached this business model is I said, okay, I believe this is the thesis of what needs to happen. And so if you, and and by no means am I comparing us to Uber, what Mm -hmm. I'm comparing is the concept and the thinking. So when you think about Uber, the problem that they solve is that they put transparency in the hands of the customer. They shifted the power shift. So the power has always been in the providers providing and that in this new world that we live in and that we've been living in, let's call it the last 10, 15 years, that the real winners are the people who put the power, shift the power to the customer, right? And how do you shift power to the customer? You put transparency. So then that way it holds the business accountable. And then you also put in a framework for pricing to make it, make it easy, let the customer choose and understand what exactly they're going to get. So for me, I knew that I wanted to make that shift because I like to look at different business models. And so I said, okay, we're, I knew I was looking for an analog problem to solve. And then I said, okay, what would be the, the reason why it wouldn't survive? What would be the reason why it wouldn't work? Because the other big piece of everything in business is timing right? In the old days, they used to say it's location, location, location. Well, location is virtual now, right? So so it isn't location, location, location. It's timing, timing, timing. 
you can be too early and you can be too late. And so an example of too early, a drone company that um, went out of business back in 2018, Andreessen Horowitz invested $130 million into this drone company. They were too early. Now, what do we have? New York City has Uber taxi rides, right, that are air taxis. And we have companies like Lilium and Joby that are coming out with, you know, Evol that are going to be air drone taxis, right? Can't wait. And hovercraft. Um, so timing. So for us, I said, okay, what would be a reason why a small business owner wouldn't want to do business with us, why they wouldn't move over? And I said, maybe that they feel that they still need to be able to get in their car and go see their accountant or they need them to be around the corner. And so I said, okay, how do I prove that wrong? And so with that thesis, I said, all right, well, let me go to a trade show. Let me find a trade show that I can go and talk to a whole bunch of small business owners in a day. And I can see in a different city and I can get a pulse check from that. So I went to a trade show in three different cities. And actually one of the cities, how we ended up, um, I don't know if you saw in your research that we were on CNBC, the premiere episode of the job interview. So we could talk about hiring people. We could have a really great conversation about that as well. So anyway, I went to where there were, you know, these trade shows that had five to 10,000 small business owners that would filter through in a day. And I signed up three at each show. One was Atlanta, one was New York, and one was in Miami. And I said, okay, then the time is now that, that it's already, people are making the transition. And now when you think about it, nobody expects to go and they, they do business with everybody across anywhere. That's incredible. And one thing that stuck out to me is I, I think the ability to find uh, analog problems and replace it with digital solutions. I think that window has actually passed as well. It's hard to, I mean, there are still things that are technically analog, like if I'm if I'm just going to go full on um, sci-fi here, like uh, maybe we can resolve the shipping problem by just letting people print their own products at home. I think 3D printing was another one of those issues, like with drones, where um, uh, almost there, but yeah, a little too early. I was I, I was gung ho about 3D printing. But that's a whole other thing. This is more or less like an opinion question, and then I actually will ask you about hiring people because I think there's a very interesting um, um, subject there. Is do you have you spotted like other analog issues in other industries where you think there might be in, uh, something to work out, or would you say that the timing for that has uh, has come and gone? We're at the beginning of the future and work 2.0. We are at we're still in the early stages. So for everybody listening, if you think about the highest level thinking jobs, right? Those industries are in disruption, right? Same thing. Um, constructions in disruption. Do you know that there's robots that can hang drywall? There's companies that have robots that can hang drywall. It's crazy. I didn't. I didn't know drywall was was hangable. I, I just yeah. Well, you you put up the drywall and right. then you have to right. So okay, you, okay, got you really, it. Really, you know, you're not hanging it like wallpaper, but but you have to take humans that normally put up the drywall and then you know do the mix over it and sand it and all that. They have robots that can do that. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Right. I'm chambering the hiring people question because uh, here's something that I want to get your, your take on. I pri prior to this, prior to this position, uh, I, I was largely doing you know uh, audio editing and, and producing, and once in a while I would catch wind of you know an AI algorithm that can do the editing for me. And there's a side of me thinking, ah, shit. Like, because me, I, I enjoyed it. I love like listening to the flow conversation, deciding what to cut, what not to cut. 
and I didn't believe that there would be enough money left for me to make if the if the if the AI took over. I've since well, for one, I don't necessarily rely on editing anymore, but I've since come to realize that let's just say I were in that position, it would give me the ability to scale up my operation because now I'm I can still do a listen through, but there are certain things I know that are just going to get cut. Like for instance, and somebody said would say ah, uh, but there's different. Everybody has different vocal habits. People are uhers, people are you knowers. I'm a weller. Somebody says, what's a weller? I say, well, a weller is somebody who starts by saying, well, uh, I'm, a, I'm a massive weller and I'm a stutterer too. Just to, I was reading a previous transcript from another episode um, just to try to like, you know, warm up back to the, um, the, the accounting and finance sector. And there's a line where if out of context, it looked like I was having a stroke. So there are things that need to be fixed up, right? But, you know, if we resolve those things and then what it allows is to really focus more on the artistry of it and focus more on flow and being able to work more as a producer and as a creative mind and help clients understand how to move their show forward because I want them to succeed so I can keep working for them. In your situation, I think this is the same thing that happened where, you know, by, by finding ways to uh, automate and, and digitize a lot of these slow going things, you've been able to sort of relieve this amongst yourself, amongst your staff, and focus on what it is that you really in, in enjoy doing and working with, with customers. So uh, I'd like to hear about the lifestyle of this and, you know, what is like the work balance between, you know, how much of the, uh, the raw paperwork are people doing versus how much of the connection with people and guiding people that they get to do? Great question. Thank you. I work hard so, on it. Thank you. A really great question. So one of the metrics that we track is we track how what percentage of their customers are customers, right? But their particular customer, do they communicate with in a 30-day period, a rolling 30-day? And so we want our team to be at a 90% communication. So we have the technology do the, the, the repetitive mundane stuff and everything we do is digital. So it's not like a, you know, a customer sends us a box of paper. We wouldn't accept that. Everything we do is digital. Why wouldn't we accept the box of paper? Because if you have a human key and numbers in, it's easy that they can transpose numbers and that's bad for the customer, right? So everything comes through digital, so it's not rekeyed. And then from there, the repetitive steps are taken out and then the humans can do the highest level thinking, which is helping solve problems for the small business owner and to educate them and to make sure that they have their numbers and everything is accurate. So I love what, what the analogy that you used about editing because you're 100% right. If you leverage technology, to do the repetitive stuff, you allow humans to do the highest level of thinking. And I think that there will be a paradigm shift to where we go back to communicating with people old school. We communicate with our customers four ways. We tell them five ways. We say to them, look, we will text message, we'll email, we'll call, we'll live chat. And we say, and if you want to send smoke signals, mm -hmm. we'll answer those as well. And because we just want to talk to them and help them. And so for me, the passion is, you know, leveraging technology to one, lower the price so the customer has a more economical price that they can pay. My experience in all my businesses is the more money I made, the more the accounting company charged me. And that's not fair, right? That's not fair. It's fair if there's more work. But if it's just because they see more money in my account, that's not fair. So, and, and I would never know what kind of bill I'd get on my taxes. Some years be four or 5,000. Like, are you freaking kidding me? So we do tax returns starting at 850 bucks. And typically they're between 850 and $1,200. And that's if you know you have FBARs and all kinds of other stuff. So the big thing is, is communication, touching the customer, helping the customer. Um, you know, some of the, the, the 
there's there's a new new wave in technology right now, and that is low code, no code. Have you heard about it? I have, yeah. Um, Kasami Banjita, she's from a um, Mason. Um, it's a, a, a interface platform where she connects different um, uh, softwares together to simplify the um, the, the entrepreneur's dashboard. So yeah, so yeah, so the no code movement um, is is something that I'm thankfully familiar with as as courtesy of the show. So if you think about it, that software is here disrupting everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And and changing the world and changing so many business models. And it's also disrupting itself because it's low code, no code is that it writes its own software. So think about it, then developers are being disrupted because they wrote this low code, no code. Yeah, well, you know, it reminds me of, uh, I, I, we only had like a little bit of programming in, in high school, but one of the first things they teach us is the pseudocode which is you're not doing the programming yet. What we're doing is just we're writing down the logic. We're trying to say, and me, I was uh, I, I was gifted in terms of if statements, but that was all I could do. Yeah, if die doesn't land on one, then die lands on two. If not two, then three. So, you know, it, I, I, two pages worth of if statements just to get a, a dice roll. I, programming, not my thing. And I think for a, a, what I'm imagining is that it gets to a point where the pseudocode is actually all you need. And then it comes back to what you're saying about the high level thinking, which is, you know, if somebody can just work out the logic, obviously there could still be whole spoken logic as always. But once the logic is worked out, you just feed that through a computer and then the computer works the, the software out on its own. And it speaks to, I think, a larger issue because I'd love to hear this is more like the uh, the unfortunate side or the, or the dark side of, of this of this movement is. And, and it comes from my own personal experience, too, which was that fearfulness or that reluctance of. These are skills that I that I have, and that they might be lost in time. And I mean, it's it's happened ever since. I think, I mean, the emergence of agriculture. It's always been about the forward momentum. Um, but I'm wondering if you've uh, if you've encountered this, whether maybe clients or even um, among, among your own among your own staff, if there's been you know pushback when it comes to people having to really like pivot and and readapt to a new way of thinking. It comes down to is that glass half full or half empty, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that people have a, a natural predis- predisposition to be half full or half empty. And, and so that's something that, they ch- that they're challenged with no matter what. We're a startup. And so for us, we hire, we look for that skill that people that you know, are used to um, constant change. And so I think at the core of it, it's, it is a human use to constant change or not, or you know, what's, what's their appetite level for change? And I just want to just want to make a note that you started out as an ifer and you moved to a weller. In school, you were an ifer. Yeah, you're a weller. If uh, this, if that. Okay, yeah, it took me a second there. I was like, oh no, did I did I contradict myself on the? Oh, but I see what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so your journey of being a weller started as an ifer. So yeah, so you know, I mean, I think that you have to say what is. What's the skill set needed for for the what's the skill set needed for the environment? Not necessarily for the job, but for mm-hmm. the environment. And so, right. you know, a, a tech company is going to be is typically more startup, right? And so, startup means that you have to have that mindset that you're used to constant change, maybe a little bit of chaos. You know, startups go from total chaos to controlled chaos to skill to scale, right? And so, you have to love all those phases, and that's why some founders will exit at a certain stage and some founders will only come in as, or some high level executives will only come in at a certain stage because that's, you know, what they're used to or what they like, what's comfortable for them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, one of my interview questions, if I make Joseph, is I'd say, if I come to your house and I look in your closet, 
what would I see? So if I came to your house and I looked in your closet and I look left, what am I going to see? So the way I have my shirt set up is that I always go based off of what are the ones that I've worn the most recently and the, and the least recently. So on my left are the shirts that I haven't worn in a while. And I try to put them that way so that I'm encouraged to wear the shirts that I don't use as often. And then the, the stuff that I don't wear, that I wear the most commonly, I put on the right to remind myself, look, don't wear out your favorites. Try to mix it up. You know, like a year goes by, some of those shirts on the left, they haven't moved at all. So I'm like, all right, that's enough. They're going to Value Village. That's, oh, wow. that's what my closet is like. And then I have drawers I, for underwear and same thing. I, I was a grocery boy for a year and a half. And one of the things you, you learn is like, you got to take the stuff from the back, put it in front, take the stuff that you're handed on the trolley, put that in the back. Because otherwise, if the stuff in the back stays in the back, goes, well, it expires. And that's not good. The, you know, the store loses money that way. So that always stuck with me. Um, so like, say with my underwear, with my socks, I always put like the old stuff um, at front to try to rotate through everything. Wow. I have to tell you, I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people. <laughs> and, it, it, and, you know, my business I've never is, got to answer that question that way. I've never gotten that question answered that way. And so that's amazing. Usually what I'll get is my shirts are here and then you know, then you'll find out that somebody organizing a subset that they start at a light color and go to a dark color. Um, and so what it tells me about your value system is number one, it tells me you have a value system. I would probably say that you save money, that that you're somebody that's cognizant of, of putting, you probably have a savings account, whereas a lot of people only have one account. They just put everything into the account to spending, but you have a, you're a forward thinker. So you're thinking about that, you know, what do I use most? How do I balance? You, and which is a really unique skill set. Um, that's amazing. I've never, ever heard that. <laughs> well, 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 I appreciate that. Um, but, you know, what I what I want to say uh, in, uh, uh, in in response to it as well is that this is where I do struggle somewhat in the in the chaotic uh, forward moving um, nature of e-commerce. It's, it's definitely like working here is taking me out of my comfort zone in, in leaps and bounds is because, you know, my, my energy comes from optimism and it comes from like, okay, I know what tomorrow looks like the day after the day after. And I'm, and I'm building towards that. So to show up to work and basically every day, there's been some sort of interrupt that's taken a lot of getting used to. So what I ended up doing after about a year of this was like, okay, now I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm looking forward to the idea that every day there's going to be a disruption. And so I've figured out a way to get to that controlled chaos point of view. Wow, that's very unique thinking. Good for you. Yeah, well, thank you for asking you know, the question. I like being asked questions too. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, it's it, it, it you the answer of, of the that when you ask that question in an interview, and another way to phrase that question is, you know, if I look in the refrigerator, what am I going to see? And so, it, oh, thank God, it, you asked me about the closet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> what it, what it, you probably rotate your inventory in, in the fridge as well. And, and so, because that's probably, you know, that's like part of who you are, it's part of your fabric. And so what happens is, is that if we are interviewing somebody and I'm, I don't interview anymore, that rarely will I interview. I, I love to interview, so I'd be happy to interview more. They just don't have me interviewing. Is that if somebody comes in and, and their closet is so organized, right? That person is not going to be good for customers, customer service. And the reason why they're not going to be good for customer service is customer service is chaos. You don't know what each call is going to bring. So if we're interviewing somebody and they, and they say, yeah, my closet, oh my God, you don't want to see my closet. It's everywhere. I have stuff everywhere, but I know where to find everything. That's a great customer service person because they're used to spontaneity and they're used to finding it. 
but somebody who says, no, 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 it's got to be in this order. And I have all my blues together and all my beige together and this and that. They don't want surprises. So they have to be in a job that's no surprise. We, we transitioned into the, the hiring discussion. I'm glad we did. And I can tell, you know, it really is something that means a lot to you. And so it seems like not every um, business uh, deals with this uh, in the way that your, your business deals with it, where you really want to make sure you have people suited for the front end, you know, dealing, uh, working with the customers, dealing negative connotation, working with clients. And then on the other hand, you have, you have the people in the back end who are, you know, working through the algorithms and are, and, and are you know, com- completing the tasks. What about the, uh, the middle ground in making sure that both of these uh, two opposites are, you know, are getting along with each other? How are the lines of communication between the front enders and the back enders? We're a family. We're a work family. So for me, that comes from leadership. It comes from management. Um, it comes from people understanding each other's roles and what the functions are of that and the benefit. You know, I think that where, where you get the separation, right, you know, in, in companies is that nobody is bringing the, the family together as a family, right? It's no different than, than the dynamics in a work environment are the same dynamics that you have in a family environment. You know, they typically say the middle child doesn't get the attention, right? The oldest is responsible and takes the brunt of the parents not understanding that it's okay for them to, you know, run into a wall and get muddy. Um, and I think that the same thing happens in business. So uh, clear communication, um, mutual respect, uh, you know, our people that we hire, I hire heart-led people. So that's uh, a bit of a, a difference. There's, I don't know if there's many companies that, that look at it based on if people are heart-led first. So I want heart-led people. That means that they understand the human dynamics and that, that everybody has different skill sets that they bring to the party. Well, I think that's a wonderful answer to the question. And uh, I, I will say that, you know, being in the, you know, in, in different job positions in the last 20 years, you know, some, some businesses, I think they use the, the family term as a, as a, as a cop-out and there's a bit of cynicism. Oh, we're a family, are we? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't wait to, to come to the, to the, you know, the retail store family where I'm, you know, work, working extra hours and doing all of that. But um, I, I think in order for that to really take shape, it, it starts from the ground up. Like I, I, I see it in you a hundred percent. So when you say thank it, you. I believe it. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank right. you. I, I think it's important, you know, and, and just to touch on business owners in general, you own your business. We all own businesses, right? And a lot of the people listening are entrepreneurs and business and they own businesses that, you know, if we're blessed with the opportunity to own a business and to run a business and build a business, I think that we have a responsibility to make sure that we provide an environment for the people for our team members to have a continuous path of learning if they choose to have a continuous path of learning and that we have to build our businesses to where we don't take the, the constant stress that we all have as entrepreneurs and, and owners and, and that they feel it, you know, they shouldn't, to me, when, when, when you're, when you're providing an opportunity for people to, to come to work every day, they should have stability. They should know that, they don't have to worry about their paycheck hitting on time. There should be, you know, common respect that you don't yell and scream at people in front of people. And the reason that I say that, Joseph, is that the ripple effect, a lot of people don't understand the ripple effect. And the mm-hmm. ripple effect is, say you have a kid and you're working for somebody that, you know, is just constantly stressed out and screaming all the time. You're going to come home from work and at the dinner table, you're going to talk about how much you hate your job and you hate your boss. And now instead of spending the time and saying, hey, Tommy, tell me what you learned today in school. 
So instead, the kids learn, oh my God, it's horrible to work for people. Business is bad. And then it's horrible, right? Mm-hmm. We could we can change the dynamics and, and we can all help each other if us as business owners just realize we need to run our business in a way that gives our team stability, gives them an opportunity to continue to learn, and that we have that we ourselves know when to take things off of our plate and give it to others. So then that way we don't have as much stress. Well, I think that's wonderful. And there's something that I want to add to that as well, because this has been on my mind for, for some time, but um, it was, it was the name of an episode of oranges and new blacks. I've seen that show in years, obviously, because it ended, but one of the episodes is called uh, toast can't never be bread again. And, mm. and, and you know, they, they, obviously they say it in the, in the episode, because they're talking about, you know, harm that was done in the relationship prior. And, you know, she says, you know, once bread becomes toast, it doesn't go back to being bread. And I think this is something really important about setting precedent. Whereas, yeah. you know, even if, if if something happens, you can do all you can in the world to, to make up for it. But once bread turns into toast, it, it doesn't go back. And so I think it's, it's really important for people to think about that in, in, in long-term and be forward thinkers and say, what I'm about, what I'm about to do is not cannot be undone so i really have to be really careful about that i love that you know what you can make this a dating episode <laughs> once it's toast it can't be bread <laughs> how many people stay in a relationship too long right so right right well uh after i don't know if uh i mean uh, i've been in a relationship for three years and then prior to that was a one like it was more like a demo of a, of a relationship uh, that, that was like a like 25 year dry spell. So um, my, my <laughs> advice to that is like, you know, the, the more you figure yourself out, the more likely you're going to find the right person. Because I think people spend so much time trying to like be right for somebody else that they like. And because they like that person, they're trying to recalibrate their own personality to fit that when it's like, well, that's not who you are. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta sort yourself out first. So that's my dating advice. hundred percent. I'm with you. And mine is, you have to meet somebody who makes you better than you are by yourself when you're with them. And when you mm-hmm. know, when you feel that you're a better human by being with this person than you are by yourself, then you're with the right person. You know, we did say prior to the recording that uh, we were both uh, in agreement that if we go, if we veer off, we're, we're going to go for it. And so we totally did. Now that Shopify has upgraded to version 2.0, we needed to make sure we were up to speed. So we've released version 4.0 to ensure that we're 100% equipped to take advantage of the 2.0 revolution. If you haven't upgraded your store, head on over. And if you haven't gotten started, now's as good time as any. Time flew by, by the way. We're, 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 we got like 10 more minutes uh, before we hit the hour mark, but uh, my crystal ball says I might steal you for a little longer than that. I wanted to come back to something from your, from your backstory because you, you talked about you know, one, of your, one of your sales positions was commission only. And I've done sales for, I did sales for about five years. My longtime listeners know that. And I've had different, I guess, functions. I'm not really sure how to describe the pay agreement. One of them was we didn't have commission you would just earn hours. So the, the better you did, the more you got to work there. So I don't know about that one. Um, and then the other one was, you know, you get your hourly wage and then you get commission on top of that. And that was, that was dandy and totally okay with that. Uh, but I haven't, I've never been in a situation where it was just like, just on commission, um, at least not in sales. You know, again, when I'm working a freelancer, it's, it's all commission work, but it's like, now I'm just on Upwork reaching out to people. So uh, I'd love to hear about your experience in, in, in that and really like what from that experience came with you to what you're doing today. 
So what happened was, I'll, get, I'll, I'll tell you how I arrived at sales. So I was working for NCR and I was installing ATM machines. And I'm going to date myself a little bit. And this was back in the 80s. And um, NCR, I was a field engineer. So I'd go out and I'd install the ATM machine and I'd repair it and take care of it and do all that. And, um, and it was cool because an armed guard would meet me out there and, and people, you know, back then didn't realize how much money was in those ATM machines. Um, and so NCR said, well, when the machines are up and running, we want you to go out and sell surge suppressors, uh, protectors on panel protectors and all that. And so I'm like, so I'm a field, you know, I'm an engineer and I'm going to go do sales. Well, if I'm going to go do sales, why don't I just make sales money? Because everybody knows that the highest people paid in the world really are salespeople because there's no ceiling. So if you're really good at sales, you know, the, the thing about sales is you're not building equity, right? And so, so I had a friend that was like 21 years old and he was making a hundred thousand plus. And again, this is the eighties. And so I, I went and I sat down with him and I sized him up. He was selling copiers and I'm like, his name was Lewis. And I'm like, he doesn't have anything I don't have. I can do what he does. And so that was it. I took the leap and I went into sales commission only and took me two weeks to sell my first deal. Um, and I made, and so for the first six months, I lived on credit cards. So you have to have guts. And so the difference between employers and employees is guts, right? We're all doing the same thing. The difference is, you know, are you willing to put it all on the line? Um, and, and so that's what I did. I went straight commission. Um, and, and, and I would do straight commission if I wasn't building businesses, I wouldn't have a problem doing straight commission today. There's a difference between hunters and gatherers. So sales is a really broad term, right? And so gatherers are, are not true sales, right? Gatherers are more customer success. They're very equally important. So no judgment on each side, right? But gatherers are typically, it's inbound sales, it's the deals are coming your way, and it's more like you're gathering things. And then true sales is, is, is hunter. Like you wake up, you got blood on your lips in the morning, you go like that, it splatters across the wall, that's hunters. And so if you, you know, hunters want no ceiling and they, and if you, it's like taking an animal and it's, if you give them a little bit of raw meat, then they're not going to hunt as much because they're not going to be as hungry. So true hardcore sales, and this is a loss. There was an article in Wall Street Journal recently about that people coming out of school now don't want to be true hunters. And so sales is, is changing because of the digital world. And so true hunters don't feed them anything. They should be straight commission. You give them a little taste of that. And if they want a little taste of that, they're not a true hunter. It's one thing to give them like a draw for two, three months, but if they don't want to be straight commission, they're not that tiger. That's a fascinating analogy. I, I will just, you know, full record based off um, what you're describing here is that that would have put me in the gatherer category. Um, although, you know, for me, I, 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 I do, I love spiders. Um, they do have an artistic quality about them. And I didn't know this for a long time, but there are hunter spiders. There are the ones that they go out, they seek their food, they, they, they tackle and they pounce. Um, but the spider that we mostly know of because of the mess they make are the weavers. You know, there are ones that they don't have any like artistic quality to them. They just make a mess in the corner and then flies come in. Uh, and then there's ones that, you know, they really appreciate their craft. And, and it's like they, they make a snowflake. And it's and like I would walk through the park and I see a bridge and it's like an art gallery. 
and when, so what my, my philosophy on it is, you know, my, the way I viewed sales is I feel like the product really is doing the work for me. My job is validating the sale to, to the customer, helping them understand the lifestyle, helping to understand, you know, make the choose, choose this option over this option. So that's, that's just how, how I view it. And I, I will say, I, I don't think I would have enemy to, to be a hunter like that. It, it, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's a hell of a risk to, to get into. So I, I commend you for doing it, but let's just say hypothetically, someone is like going to go for it. Where do they even look for that kind of work now? Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's hard to try to find that kind of work. So go to straight hunters, you know, in, if you go in Indeed and you go to all of the different, you know, boards, uh, career, career fair, all those different things, there'll be jobs that were there. The way that you're going to know is, is this, if somebody's paying you a salary, then you, and you're getting some, some commission, then you're probably going to be capped somewhere between 60 and a hundred thousand. If you are, if, if you take the whole risk, they're going to pay you more money because they're, they're, they don't have to average you. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you're not averaged out. And so if you're pay, paid no money and it's all commission, you can make 100, 200, 500. There is truly no limit. And true hunters, they won't go to work Monday to Friday. They'll figure out where they can find customers and they'll work whatever hours fit their customers. I love that I didn't really know what we were going to exactly be able to, to uh, so I'm just bringing it on in the nature of this conversation, but I think it's really fascinating. Well, I, I tell you, I love your, your analogy to spiders. And, you know, in that analogy, you have the hunters and the gatherers, and then you have the consultative. And there is a consultative approach to sales. You can be a consultative salesperson if you're a gatherer, if you're inbound and gatherer. And also, if you're a hunter, you can also be consultative. The difference is, is that hunters eat what they kill. So they're going to go hungry if, if, if they don't kill anything. So every day they got to get up, mm -hmm. you know, and it's the old saying of, you know, the gazelle, the gazelle and the lion, right? So, you know, the, the slowest lion knows that it has to run, uh, or the gazelle rather, knows that it has to run faster than the fastest lion. And the slowest lion knows that it just has to run faster than the, than any gazelle. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm going to uh, get, get your take on this too, just for uh, just for the sake of it. But there is a third kind of spider, which are called the burrowers. Um, so you have the ones that are open, they're on display. You have the hunters and then burrowers, they just go underground and they just, and they just wait for food. I, I was thinking maybe there's like a, a degree of relationship between that and the consultation, but I don't think it's a very clear connection. So it does, does Strategic, okay. Yeah, yeah. potentially. Yeah, I, I yeah. Mean, they find the right spot yeah. and they, yeah, they know where to wait. Yeah, they find the right spot and they wait for it to come to them, right? They set the trap. Yeah, uh, so you could say it's a form of hunting, where, but it's more just like passive hunting rather than active hunting. True, true. You could say it's a sniper hunt instead of a shotgun. Yeah, I'm gonna switch gears. So we're gonna we're gonna jump back onto the um, the, the broad reaching macro uh, subject that we've been discussing. Uh, I, I'd have to uh, sleep on it to try to figure out exactly what to characterize it as. Anyways, let's do some some stuff here for um, people who are just starting their businesses out. Uh, I want to okay. leave the audience today with some uh, good habits that people can work on for the starting process. What point do people set their bookkeeping up properly early? Like just so you understand, you know, a lot of the people that we that we uh, um, help out on the show. A lot of people are in dropshipping, so they're testing their products. They're trying to find what's a product they can really work with. If the product starts to go well, then they're feeling good about it. Then they say, okay, you know what? I can, I, I can make a business out of this. And then, of course, you have people who are 
you know, they're craftspeople. They're building their products from from scratch by hand. We've had a lot of great guests on the program who, who do have gone that route. So what are some of the habits that they want to develop early on? So can we take it as, can we go 30,000 foot view first and then sure. come into, into the bookkeeping if that's cool? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so when people go to start a business, you know, I always say to people, I mentor a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners, um, and I always say to them, start with the end in mind. Understand what you want from the business. So are you building a business to sell the business? Are you building a business for a lifestyle business? Are you building a generational business? So it's really important for people mm-hmm. to, it, are you building a starter business that you're going to kind of test everything out, figure it out, and then sell that business off or sunset it and then go start the next business? So I always encourage entrepreneurs to really think through, you know, what do you want the end result of this business that you're doing, right? And so I think start there. And then from there is, is how you then set up your time frame and your structure of your business. And so in the early days, um, US-based, because I don't know Canadian tax law and all, but US-based, you want to, you don't want to co-mingle your funds. One of the big, big mistakes that that we see people make that they have to unwind is co-mingling with co-mingling the funds. So what does that mean? It means that you set yourself up as a sole proprietor and then you go in and you have the same checking account and you're writing business expenses and personal expenses. You're never going to figure it out and you're going to miss out on tax savings. So set your business up, you know, start it as an LLC, um, have a separate credit card and a separate bank account for your business. So don't start as a sole prop. And then from there, run it as its own living, breathing entity. Don't steal from it. You know, you need to know, is that business going to be profitable? What do I mean by steal from it? In the early, early days, don't run everything under your business because how do you know if your business is profitable? You know, on our website, under e-commerce, we have calculators that can help you figure out what your profit margin is based on the buying price of a product and the selling price. Because a lot of people think, if I buy a product for $100 and I want to make 30% on it, they sell it for 130, but that's not 30%. You have to sell it for $144 in order to have a 30% margin, right? So a lot of people miss that when they're starting out in business and understanding the true profit margin. And then from an LLC, once you make more than $30,000 in profit, you want to then make it the tax filing as an S selection. And then so that way you can run more money through it and have better tax write-offs. So what I would say is, um, separate bank accounts, separate credit card. When do you bring in online bookkeeping and accounting? If you've been in business three, four, five times and you're just starting out, you already understand all that. You already have the money that's backing you up. Go ahead and bring in accounting right away. Bring in somebody that's online accounting, whether it's us or another player in the market space um, and get it done and get it off your hands. If you're, if you're bootstrapping your business, then you know maybe you stay doing the books for six months or you don't do the books the first six months and you hire us around six months. Um, depending on what your situation is, you know, how much cash flow do you have and how much money do you have back in you? Mm-hmm. Does that answer yeah. it for you? It does, it does. And, and it leads me into, into two things. One, which is hilarious because I did want to ask about like, you know, your take on sole propriety because it's been a very consistent thread. Everybody I've talked to, sole propriety, I'm being charitable when I say it's a death trap. Like it seems like there hasn't not been a single good reason for anybody. Now I set up a sole propriety um, years ago. My uh, and I did a my license is due to expire pretty soon, so we'll we'll see where I go after that. 
and it seems at this point, really the only good thing is like, you know, baby's first business just to understand, Oh, I have to register. Oh, I have to do this. Oh, I have to do that just so yeah. that they really get those first steps down. But then like when it's ready to actually move into something serious, it's just not gonna, it's just not going to fly. Doesn't protect you legally. So right. sole, yeah. sole prop puts all of your personal wealth in danger. Yeah, that's crazy. I, if anybody listens to the Alan Chen episode, I did a whole rant about that. I'm not going to repeat it here, but uh, people know how I feel about it. Um, yeah. Another part that I was, I was curious about is, you know, in, in e-commerce, um, the, the variances of what, you know, products and services people sell is quite, uh, quite drastic. You have people who are selling um, goods or selling services, um, selling physical product or selling like digital product. Um, in, in, when, you know, when you're bringing these, when you're onboarding these people, are there variations to how you would work with somebody who's selling physical media versus someone who's selling just like, you know, like eBooks online versus someone who's you know selling their time. Like if they're doing consulting services. 100%. First fork in the road when customers come on, are they selling a product or time? So if they're mm-hmm. selling time, um, that's a different situation than if they're selling a product. And, and then other than that, it's pretty much the same. Like all, you know, if you, if you have CapEx, so if you have to buy equipment to do, like say you're a pizza shop owner, right? Pizza ovens are 50 grand. So if you have equipment like that, then you need to write off, you know, your section 179, when's a good time to buy new equipment, use the money you would be paying in taxes to buy new equipment. So when you get into a product business, it comes down to high CapEx or low CapEx, you need equipment in it. Um, but you know, so our two largest cohorts are e-com and professional services. So one selling a product and the other one selling time. I, I noticed the, there, there's a pattern there, you know, between you know, bringing on people who, who, you know, work, uh, heavily in the front end, who work heavily in the back end, and then at the same time in the clientele as well, uh, a variance too, in, you know, having opposites in, in, in the, in the products and the services that they sell. And this is really the first time that anyone has broken down, you know, whether you're selling a product or you're selling time. And if, and those, I think are the two most fundamental ways that you can look at it. Um, maybe there's a third tier, I don't know, but and most things seem to fall within one of those two categories. Oh yeah, totally. And so, and I know we only have a couple minutes left, but I'll, I'll share with you. Um, we can go a little did, longer as long as you're cool with it. Yeah, totally. totally. Okay, great. So thank you. So you too. if you, if you go to our website, right, it's zendu.com, X-E-N-D-O-O.com. And there's a white paper there that I wrote and it's called the power of three. And so if you're somebody who's selling a product, and you put the power of three to, to use. And, and what the power of three is this, is that you affect one side of the business by 3% and the other side, the opposite side of it by 3%, right? So an example, you're selling a product. If you're selling ball caps, if you increase the price of your ball cap by 3%, say the ball cap is 30 bucks and 3% is negligible, right? 3% is 90 cents. So somebody's not gonna walk out of your store or click off of your site because you're selling a ball cap for $31 versus $30. They're going to buy it. So there's 3%. Then on the other side, if on the cost side, if you reduce your cost by 3%, so for instance, you don't get ahead of your inventory and so you're always ordering second day. Well, what if you get ahead of your inventory and now you save in shipping costs? Or what if you um, if you can buy you know, closeout clearance because you understand the cash flow and you cycle your inventory fast enough that you have cash flow to be able to take advantage of that. You reduce your cost by 3%. How much do you think that that affects your bottom line? Do you think it's three times three? 
Do you think it's three plus three? Do you think it's 6%, 9%? What do you think it affects your bottom line? I don't think the effects are immediate, but I think that they become more noticeable the more the business scales. No? Effects, are, effects, are, okay. effects are immediate and it's exponential. So in a product business, you would affect your, your profit by 35%. You will increase your profit, net profit, by 35% by employing power three. Increase one piece, which is the price by 3%, decrease the cost by 3%, right? And there's other ways you could do, do that. There's other examples of increase one side and the other side. If you're a time business, if you're professional services and you're selling time, say you're selling uh, uh, digital marketing. So if you do digital marketing and you normally charge somebody $1,400 a month, 3% of $1,400 is $1,442. They're not going to balk at you to go $1,450. They're not going to leave you if you're that good, right? So now you just increase by 3%. Now you have to figure out how do you decrease the opposing side of that is your cost of labor. So how do you decrease your cost of labor in a, in a professional services? Well, you have your people with three monitors because people that work on three monitors have a 30% more uh, throughput on their work, right? It increases their productivity by 30%. Do you have the latest software for people? So by giving your team that, you're going to get more throughput. So figure out how you can now be able to push more work through with the same people, or you can reduce how much you have to outsource on that. And so on a professional services side, it increases it by 15%, not as much as on the product side, but still 15% lift for doing nothing, just tweaking two things with Power 3. So that white paper, if you wanted that white paper is on our website, you put in your email and you get the white paper. Well, I think one of the most important takeaways to this too is that you know it's not just about increasing prices for the sake of vanity. Um, prices also have to increase for any number of um, um, logistical and you know, justifiable reasons. My my favorite word in the whole wide world, inflation. I mean, that alone, you know, you have to increase your prices. Otherwise, your value actually does decompose over time. So none for if, for no other reason, that one right there is an absolute necessity. 100%. 100%. And 3% is not really a price increase, if you think about it, in the scope of things, especially nowadays. But yeah. it, it's just, it's it's the concept of how you think about your business. And, and you know, it, when you're a business owner, if you're not thinking about how are you going to be profitable, then you're not serving your team well, your, your internal team well. You're not serving your customers well because how are you going to have enough money to invest to stay relevant, right? So maybe if Blockbuster would have invested more in their business or would have been more innovative, then Netflix wouldn't have had such an easy shot at taking them out. There's another question here that I wanted to ask. This is more about... Um, write-offs. So we, you know, uh, having talked to other people um, in, in the sector, you know, we have discussed in the past, like, yeah, there are things that you can do. There are ways to, to save money. But what was what was sinking in today with this conversation is it's almost like there's more of like a, a lifestyle adjustment or like a write-off lifestyle. So what the question that I wrote down, but we'll we'll kind of make this like the last major subject and then we'll wrap this bad boy up. But when it comes to write-offs, is it possible that you can like uh, actually harm yourself in the long run? Um, let's just say you know you're using write-offs and you're and you're, sa- and you're finding savings, but then you're compelled for to make sure that the business is actually like you know improving year after year, so that the IRS doesn't come knocking and wondering like you know how many times are you gonna you know, watch a movie and write that off? So that's uh, it's it's a bit more nebulous of a question than um, perhaps I I should have asked, but 
Uh, I would love yeah. to just get your take on like on write-offs and how people are are handling this, a responsible usage of it, and if it's possible that it go, it can actually somebody can overuse it and start abusing it. You have to you have to have the fine line. It does need to be a business write-off in some form, right? Mm-hmm. And so we can go through a couple of examples of you know what could be in the the gray area. So first, let's do the disclaimer. I'm not a CPA. Mm-hmm. I'm a fellow entrepreneur, and so we're just having a conversation about tax write-offs in the U.S. So, so you bet. So with that, your bookkeeping that you do monthly is so you understand the scorecard of your business and the health, the financial health of your business. So it's important to do monthly bookkeeping. So when you look at your profit and loss, you can say, hey, is everything in line? Is the business trending in the right way? Um, is my pricing, you know, if you have no profit, you have to look at, are you charging enough money? Do you have the right profit margin on your goods and products? All of those kinds of things. So that's the monthly side of that. Then what happens is that taxes are annual. So when it comes time for tax time, you want to write off everything you can write off. You don't want to pay any tax, right? So, and, and then there's what's called addbacks. So for instance, if you have ODI, owner's discretionary income. So if you're running your car through the business, you're running your phone through the business, if your business is in the house, um, or if your business is in an office and you have a kitchen and you're buying groceries for the business, so your staff has has snacks, right? You understand what I'm saying? And then that's all a write-off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're shopping at Publix um, because you're buying snacks for the office, that's <laughs> it is it is a business write-off. And then and, and so you need to be able to to do that in the proper way. If you take a vacation and on the vacation. Um, you happen to wrap some business in because you're out in Vail and you have another e-commerce that you're meeting with to discuss best practices. Well, there's part of that that trip that's part of a business trip, correct? Right. Yeah. And um, and if it, it, it continues on with what um, what Alan Jed said too, it's like you know you can even set your vacations up so that you know, hey, I'm going on business, I might as well make a vacation out of it. Hundred percent. So it's, it's, you know, what's, what's the old saying with uh, the stock market, right? Pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. So, you know, use some discretion in, in what you're writing off. If you show the IRS, you know, uh, um, you know, a hundred thousand dollar loss every year. And all of a sudden you just bought, you know, a Lambo and, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> something's not going to add up and there's going to be an issue. So it, it's just mm-hmm. about the quorum. I, I appreciate that. I really wanted to get your take on it um, because I think with putting a lot of time and money and energy into businesses, I think being able to write these things off, it alleviates some of that, you know, personal stress as well as somebody can still, you know, enjoy their life on a, on a day-to-day basis, still find ways to add value to themselves that are not as direct as, okay, I'm starting to get money coming in now. So I, I think it is important for, 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 for people to be able to do this and, you know, I mean, taxes, you know, hypothetically, taxes, they're collected by the government, so the government can provide services, and everybody agrees, hey, I paid my taxes because it's a good thing to do. But people are going to the extra efforts to run a business because they want to provide services for other people. That's also a good thing to do. So in that respect, I think that's where I think the, you know, the, it's morally sound and justifiable and even encouraged. I myself, I'm also not a, a certified CPA. I'm just a guy doing a podcast. But that's where that's kind of like where I I I, I get off on the on the on the subject. Yeah, totally. And you know, at the end of the day, find a CPA that matches your um, who you are, right? So mm-hmm. if somebody is you know super nervous, super afraid, 
um, uh, then, then maybe they want somebody that is that doesn't see gray at all, strictly black or white. If you're somebody that hey, you want to maximize your write-offs, find somebody who's gray, who love, you know, their favorite color is gray. Uh, that happens to be a CPA. So, but, you know, at the end of the day, what I love about podcasts is that you're helping to inspire. You're not helping, you are inspiring entrepreneurs and, and business owners. And I think it's really important because um, we didn't talk about this as we're wrapping up, but it is lonesome. It is a lonely place to be. It's hard to find your tribe when you're a small business owner or an entrepreneur. And lots of times what I hear over and over is that people feel like they're alone. They feel like they don't know where to turn for answers um, and things like that. And so it's just about, you know, seek out uh, people like you, Joseph. Seek out people that are are sharing all the different areas of business, tips, tools, tricks, um, and, and inspiration. So thank you for having me on today. Greatly appreciate it and honored to be here. The honor is, uh, is mine uh, just as well. This was an absolute um, a blast of a conversation. Um, and, you know, to my listeners, aside from my, you know, my usual wrap up, whether, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're doing your own thing or if you're, you're, you're just listening, we all want to help. That's what, that's what we're here for. So please don't hesitate to reach out to the email and just ask a few questions. It, it maybe if you haven't listened to every episode, no, I just, all I can, all I got to do is just, Hey, you know, I got some, some people that you should listen to. This is the, this will get you on your way. So with that, uh, little Roberts, it's time to wrap, the, wrap this up, uh, much to my dismay, but close the question for you is a, if you have any like last bits of parting wisdom, or if there's like a Chinese proverb you enjoy, mind you, you've like, I think we've gone to like eight sayings. So I think you're, you're good. Like the quota is filled, but feel free to share another one anyways, just for the sake of it. And then after that, let the audience know how they can make contact. Awesome. So I will close with, if you want to go far, go together. So don't go alone, go together. And then you can reach me at lil.roberts at zendu.com, X-E-N-D-O-O.com. If you're interested in working with us, Either shoot me an, an email or send it to sales at zendu.com. And we'd love to talk to you and work with you. Thanks again, Joseph. Excellent. Thanks to you as well, Lil. All right, everybody. You know what I'm about to say. Unless uh, this is your first time here. Thank you for listening to this episode. To my audience, it is an honor and a privilege to collect this information and use it for my own benefit. I have no shame in saying that. And of course, share it with all of you as well. So thank you all for your participation. Thank you to my guests for your time. And last but not least, take care. And we will check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to debutify.com and see how we can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.